So if I'm Javier Millet, I'm the president of Argentina, do I approve of a non-post-edited version of myself speaking at a high-profile event and having the thing lip-synced? And welcome, everyone, back to SlaterPod. Hi, Esther. Hi, Florian. Another busy week uh, just at the start of the year, so let's unpack. So we're going to look at these translation GPTs again, what we found in the last week. Uh, look at the acceptance of lip-synced AI translation, rising and rising and rising. And then you're going to tell us more about how M&A is back in force in 2024. SlaterCon Remote's happening soon, and you have a chance to get your early bird tickets. Actually, it's super early bird, uh, but we're going to end that sale soon, so go get your tickets at the super early bird price. And big announcement, SlaterCon in person IRL is back in your neck of the woods, Esther, on May 23rd. In London. Yeah, super excited. In London. I'm excited too. Great, great hotel, the Nobu Hotel. Big setup. So uh, yeah, make sure to save the date, May 23rd on a Thursday, perfect day of the week. You can fly in, you can enjoy London on the Friday, meet some customers there, meet some clients, and then fly back to wherever you are based or stay in London. Of course, London's a big hub for localization as well. Now, have you had a chance to dig a bit more into the translation GPT thing? on the OpenAI store? Yeah, after our podcast, I did have a bit of a dig around. I saw the phrase, the phrase GPT um, and a few others. Yeah, I just want to give a quick update. We're not going to try to screen share anymore because we attempted it this morning and the uh, OpenAI store generally, it's still a little buggy. It's still a bit slow. So just want to share a bit, uh, a few more findings. Um, so first, it's really super easy to build. Uh, one of those GPTs, uh, we, we just did one for another purpose, like an internal purpose, you know, we bought the team subscription, et cetera. And then, uh, you know, one of the team members bought a quick um, uh, GPT for an internal use case. So really easy to build. Now, I don't think we answered a question about payment last time. So when you do launch that GPT and you want to get make money from it, uh, I think currently uh, OpenAI says it's limited to users in the US or US builders will be uh, paid based on what they call user engagement with their GPTs. Now, what is user engagement? Probably the amount of uh, chats, actual chats. And if you, yeah, it, like how many people have actually chatted with your GPT? And now actually last time you mentioned it's a YouTube type model. And then I've kind of blurted out. You said App Store. More the App Store. But the more I think about it, the more I think you're right. I think so too. <laughs> yeah, you were right. No, because you were talking about, oh, creators, creators, and I th rather than developers. And I think obviously when you're thinking that way, it is more aligned to the, to the YouTube model. Um, and the fact that, well, the fact that it's not expert contributors and the payment model as well. Yeah, I mean, the payment model, definitely, right? I mean, it's way more YouTube because it's, it's usage-based. So, you know, if a million people constantly use your GPT, then you're going to get more money from OpenAI. It's not like it's a one-time download like on the App Store. So, yeah, you were right. I was wrong. Let's move on quickly. And uh, so now for mo most of these GPTs have like 100 or more chats, so not much yet, including the one by Phrase, 
So when we're when we're kind of typing in you know translation localization into that search box, uh, there's most of these GPTs have like you know a hundred plus. It says like a hundred plus chats. So there's like a chat symbol and then a hundred plus next to it. There's some more like uh, a Chinese Funyi uh, translation app. They have like a, a one K, so one thousand chats, but it's still very 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 small numbers, right? But you can imagine that that being used as a metric, like views or subscribers, you know, as a, more like a reliability thing. So, are you going to go and open a random one that's only got ten chats, or are you going to go and open a GPT that's got a million eventually? You know, however many months or years down the line. One hundred percent. Just that. So basically, the usage is still super low. If you have a hundred plus, then it's very little. Now, what you mentioned before is actually quite. Um, quite important. How do you find the GPT? And that's from a user interface. It's terrible at the moment. So you have a search box, you type, and then there's a drop down that's coming down. There's no way to like hit enter and get all of the translation GPTs or all of the localization GPTs. And the drop down is limited to like maybe a dozen GPTs. So what happens if there are a hundred translation GPTs and it just serves you a dozen? Yeah, how is it choosing which ones to serve up? Correct. So that's something they'll have to figure out. Obviously, in the grander scheme of things, that's probably a relatively low on their list of things. But if they want to have greater adoption of this, they they need a much better way to search, right? Because yeah, I mean, if you type in translation on YouTube, you're you're not only getting ten videos served, and then you you can pick among these ten. You can obviously go way deeper than that. All right, so that was about those translation GPTs. I mean, go you know and punch in any other key term. I mean, dubbing, subtitling, localization, anything. It'll there, there's there's some GPTs for, for any of this. Um, now, just before the podcast, I noticed that uh, David Sachs, uh, uh, you know, investor, um, and one of the hosts of the All In podcast, uh, one of the biggest kind of tech, current affairs podcasts in the world. He tweeted out um, about, again, Heijen and about Javier Millet's speech at the World Economic Forum happening right now here in, in Davos, Switzerland. And so Millet, you know, is the new kind of a narco-capitalist, super libertarian president of Argentina. And a lot of people were waiting for his speech in, in Davos. And he gave it in, in Spanish and there was, uh, you know, simultaneous interpreting, etc. So when you go on the... Uh, World Economic Forum's website, it's the options are like, um, of course, original Spanish, but then um, basically the uh, simultaneous interpreter on top if you want to have English, French, etc. But now David Sachs, again, that investor slash podcaster tweeted out, hey, the best way to listen to the Millet speech in English is rendered using Heijen in his own voice. And so, of course, I click, I go. Pretty easy, really uh, well translated. Got to say, I mean, I listened to it for like a couple of minutes. Not no in-depth linguistic uh, analysis, of course. Uh, the, the the voice somewhat monotonous, quite easy to follow. Uh, but actually, sort of say easier than listening to the live simultaneous interpreter. I know this is blasphemy, but I really think it is. Now, who knows if Hey Jen Post edited this? But uh, you know, even if this is probably going forward, one of the ways to to listen to these types of, to this type of content, right? It's lip sync, right? Now, the question is always, what, 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 does this, what does the speaker say about this? So if I'm Javier Millet, I'm the president of Argentina, do I approve 
of a non-post-edited version of myself speaking at a high-profile event and having the thing lip-synced? I don't know. I guess I wouldn't. So, like, it's a, quite quite the gray zone there. I mean, you know, it's it's a president. He's giving an important speech. Not sure. So, at at this point in time, it's uh, it feels a bit in the gray zone of what uh, a speaker would approve. Those kind of speeches that are a fair game, you know, public, recorded in a public forum. Um, yeah, we've had all of the splicing and dicing of um, politicians' speeches. You know, they splice them and dice them into songs <laughs> and things like that. So I think a uh, translation or uh, recording in English is probably more along the lines of what you might expect. You know, fair usage, I'd say. Okay, there, there's a lot to unpack. Of course, on the one hand, I mean, they should be, in a sense, happy that their signal gets amplified even more. But what if it's actually wrong? I mean, you could see a world where, you know, maybe it's not Spanish, English, super high resource. And the type of speech Millet gave, I would say, is relatively, uh, it's extremely data rich. I mean, it's, econ it's mostly economics, it's politics. You know, there's a huge uh, corpus of available um, data on, on this. So I would assume the translation is quite, quite, quite good without post-editing. You know, what if it's a slightly lower resource language, it's a more complicated topic, and it's a super sensitive um, subject matter, right? So you could have a video go viral of some president saying something that's you know, literally the polar opposite of what they intended to say. I think there's a duty for the person or people who are translating and putting the content out that it, that it is accurate. But they can't because it's AI. Okay, well, confidence in the AI, I suppose, confidence in the solution to the extent that they can be. I mean, they can't, right? How can HeyGen guarantee quality? I mean, this is what the, the entire language industry is built upon. So I'm not cautioning against the use. I'm cautioning that this is now becoming extremely widely accepted. So in the, in the minds of the kind of non-language industry consumer, again, we spoke about this many times before, this is becoming a solved problem, that pe pe people perceive it as a solved problem. So let's see how the ripple effects are on the... Um, professional industry on the enterprise grade industry on this. But I, I wonder if you will get people picking these things apart, you know, um, in the same way that with game localization, if there's a mistake in games, people are very quick to flag it and talk about it on social media. Same with, you know, media localization, people talk about it. Um, so you'd wonder if, the, if there is quite a lot of engagement with this sort of thing, you'd sort of hope that the community would, would moderate the content. But a president saying, let me push back again, like, it, the, the repercussions of a president saying the polar opposite of what he was actually intending to say in his own voice, lip synced. You need some disclaimers saying, you know, like like what they do with machine translated annual reports. Like this was automatically translated for any discrepancies. Please refer to the original German or Japanese or Spanish in this case. They'll be caught up by 1% of the Twitter users <laughs> or TikTok users or whatever users are consuming this, right? And the rest is like, oh, look, he speaks English flawlessly. It's his voice and the lips are moving perfectly. I don't know. It's just, uh, yeah, it's And then you meet him stuff. in person and he can't speak English. So you think, hmm. I don't think Mile speaks English. Or maybe he just, um, well, he should speak English. He's, a, he's an economist. I'm sure he read through a bunch of um, English 
uh, economist papers and stuff like that. All right, let's move on. It's uh, one of the companies that's maybe powering some of the tech. Uh, here is Sistran one of the oldest machine translation companies in the known universe. And they were acquired by a French data processing company called Chaps Vision. Tell us more. Chaps Vision. Yeah, big news coming out of Sistran and Chaps Vision. Uh, that was last week. Sistran, as you said, was acquired by the data processing company. Um, and as you mentioned, Sistran is one of the older, oldest uh, machine translation providers uh, known to the humankind um, and as part of that they have gone through quite a lot of different ownership cycles over the many years but most recently prior to the chaps vision acquisition they were owned or majority owned by stick investments a south korean investment firm um, other investors held 42 percent of the companies with uh, softbank korea korea investment partners and korea investment securities um, and so we reached out to Vincent Godard, the CEO of Sistran. Um, he spoke a little bit about uh, the process of, um, or the acquisition, uh, saying that Sistran's previous owners had actually initiated um, the process of finding new investors um, at the end of 2022. So this is a year plus uh, in the making. Uh, he said that Chaps Vision is... Um, will use Sistran will now become the in-house knowledge uh, and experience powerhouse around language processing for Chaps Vision. Um, in terms of how, I mean, I suppose this might have played a part in how the acquisition came apart, came about. Uh, Sistran and Chaps Vision had some shared clients, he said, especially particularly in the government space. Um, and then talking about the benefits of the deal uh, Vincent was saying that Sistran obviously has an international presence. They've got something like 70% of their revenues coming from abroad, um, subsidiaries in the US, South Korea and Japan, and all of that will help Chaps Vision to go global. Um, and then the buyer, so interesting company, Chaps Vision, only founded in 2019. Um, since then, it seems to have done a total of 19, so nearly... Uh, yeah, nearly 20 acquisitions in, what is that, four years, um, and is aiming for revenues of around 200 million euros this year in 2024. They've also raised uh, a bunch of funding, more than 200 million US dollars across two funding rounds. And um, one sort of intriguing, interesting point was that among its investors are Qualium, um, which in turn people may know as being invested in Accolade. Wow, you dug deep there. That's a couple of layers removed. Couple of layers, but you know, it's, uh, I don't know, the, the sort of French investment world, I suppose, is potentially quite small and makes sense to uh, kind of pursue similar, similar type investments, right? Data processing, translation, translation services, machine translation. So hang on. So Qualium is a private equity firm or some type of growth fund. And they own a stake in Chaps Vision, and Chaps Vision acquired Sistran, but Qualium also is a direct investor in Accolade. Yeah. So both so Qualium within its portfolio has both Accolade and also Chaps Vision. Good for them. Now let's move down a couple of rungs on the scale to translate one acquiring Bal Baltasar. Baltasar, yeah. Baltasar Limited. 
in the UK. That's right. Uh, Translate One, um, also, well, also part of Trust Point One to go a level back. Um, Trust Point One being one of the largest legal service providers in the US. Um, it has a division called Translate One um, that obviously, I mean, serves, yes, legal um, legal customers, but also provides a broader range of services um, across different um, different sectors and segments. They acquired uh, Balthazar here in the UK, small um, small LSP focusing on technical translation for the German and UK markets. And it specializes, and I had to Google this, <laughs> specializes in the industrial marketplace with a, fo- a focus on HVAC, which for those who are not aware is heating, ventilation and air conditioning, as well as the renewable sectors. Um, so some might argue a super niche um, HVAC. Um, but yeah, just over a million dollars in uh, revenues in 2022. So that's a small addition to their translation division. Previous acquisitions by Translate One have also included Comet Global in what language and also, well, now Balthazar uh, in the UK. Then we had some comment from uh, Translate One saying on the rationale that um, Balthazar aligns seamlessly with our European operations significantly enhancing our capacity to offer exceptional customer service, especially in the highly technical translation sphere. So that's a small acquisition US to UK. All right. And then a little larger, 18 million US dollars, Series B, raised by multilingual content generation company, contents.com. Nice domain. Obviously, it would have been greater to have content.com, but that probably would have cost a fortune. <laughs> so contents.com, not too bad either. Contents.com, yeah, not too bad. Uh, so this is a funding round, 18 million US dollars, Series B, from uh, the Italian startup, contents.com. They were founded in 2020. Um, they've had funding uh, so far, well, to date of 24 million, so including that latest 18 million. This latest round was led by Alchemia Capita, Capital and Thomson Reuters Ventures, um, with a couple of others also participating. Um, so, yeah, I mean, interesting acquisition of, um, in, in previously, they have also made, sorry, several acquisitions um, in 2023 last year, one of which was an acquisition of an Italian LSP called Traduzione.it. Um, talking about the latest funding round, though, the CEO and founder uh, was saying that they're planning on using the funds to obviously further develop the platform, also drive global expansion or potentially for strategic acquisitions. All right. Well... That was it for today's Slater Pod. Thanks again for checking in. Speak soon.